Think about the last time you bought a car. Did you buy it before you test drove it? Or when you're endlessly scrolling through Netflix like you did last weekend, do you actually choose anything before watching the trailer? Or, or what about when you're walking through Whole Foods or Costco? Those little food samples? Hmm. I've made my wife go through a second time for the good ones. The point is, when it comes to consumer products, the principles of product-led growth have been around for a while. Wes Bush is bringing those same principles to SaaS. As it's become cheaper and easier to build products, arbitrage has followed. Competition is more prevalent, acquisition costs have gone up. To be profitable, we have to find better ways for providing a great user experience that eventually leads to a sale. On this episode, Wes walks us through all of those, including the bowling alley method for onboarding new users into the product. And don't worry, you don't actually need to be a good bowler. Just listen. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Uh, when it comes to product-led growth, there's some people who think, is it just another growth hacking? Is it another one of these you know, fancy words, acronyms that, that doesn't actually mean a lot? So let's start here. What is product-led growth? Yeah, so product-led growth is honestly nothing new. It has already been in so many other industries. It's really a surprise that it's the first time it's, it's really coming to the SaaS space. So if you think of like a lot of the products we buy today already, sure. whether that's cologne, maybe perfume, uh, we like to try those things before we actually buy them. And so it has happened. Like even if it's, let's say it's an expensive purchase, a car, are you going to buy that car before you actually <laughs> try it out and you know give it a shot, see if it actually runs? And so there's all these products where we have already taken for granted that we like to try before we buy. It's part of the way humans like to buy. And now it's all of a sudden this new thing in the SaaS space, which is product-led growth. Everyone's talking about it. And it's really just because that's actually the way we like to buy. And it has now become so much easier for SaaS businesses to make this a reality. So that's really what product-led growth is, is giving people that incredible buying experience where they can taste test your solution before they purchase and really see it for themselves. Right. It's, it's even more than that, though, too, right? Because, I mean, free trials have been around, right? I mean, go, go back to AOL when they used to mail you those discs, right, in the mail back in the 90s, and you'd get, what, 200 free hours of AOL or whatever it was? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, free trials have been around forever. So is it is it more than that? Absolutely. So that's really at the, the surface level is giving people that free trial experience where they can see it for themselves. But whenever we, we go a step deeper, it really impacts every single team if you want to make the strategy really work for you. For instance, from like a marketing perspective, your marketers are now responsible for, okay, how can, how can we actually get engaged users into the product? And your sales team is actually saying to themselves, hey, uh, which users does it actually make sense for us to reach out to? So the traditional sales-led companies where, whether it's having people knock on the doors of their prospects or fly on site, or maybe it's just all BDRs trying to get people 
into their funnel to really start that sales process, um, it's, it's not different. So the old way of selling software, to really sum it all up, is it's really about telling people, can I tell you about my software solution? Whereas product-led is saying, I want to show you. See for yourself. Do we deliver on that value prop? And it's a totally different conversation, especially for sales in a product-led business, because just one of the most common objections for product-led businesses is you don't need sales, which in a lot of product-led companies, you can go without sales. But eventually, you will probably want to have a sales team to really make that transition and go up market if that is your intention as a business. So it gets tricky in that sense of like, where is the line between sales-led, product-led? Can product-led companies have sales? Absolutely. It's just the way you treat your users are different. So a lot of what we're talking about so far is really product-led growth as it relates to sort of that conversion element, getting people to try your product, getting them to use the product. From What about from an acquisition standpoint? Because, I mean, you could even say like true product-led companies would be things like, I mean, uh, some uh, products that come to mind, Drift, superhuman, intercut, like these products that uh, in and of themselves are uh, have a viral component baked into it and therefore acquisition happens with the product as well. Like no marketing, uh, not no marketing, but maybe there's less of a, uh, you know, a, a, a focus on content marketing and these kind of things to, to drive acquisition for a product. Some of these products do it on their own. So is, is that, uh, like where does that fall into the product-led sort of growth, uh, you know, uh, funnel? Yeah, so not all products are created equal when it comes to that. And what you're referring to is really virality. Like, can this product spread on its own, kind of like a virus? And so if you have actually, like I was talking to the Mixmax CEO, which I think out of all products, they do a really good job mm -hmm. at creating a vile product. And because it's an email tool and it's just naturally you're going right. to use the product in an email client that gets shared to other people. So if you're on the free plan, it's going to say powered by Mixmax. And so it's like it's been like back a, in the day, right? Like the original growth hacking example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I was talking to Olaf, he, he has broken down all the levels of virality, which if you search like what are the, the main types of product virality, you'll probably find his video on YouTube from the product-led summit when he spoke right. there. But it really is not, to get back to your question, like not every product can do that. So some products, if it is a possibility, if you can make priority work for you, go for it. But it's not gonna be um, that case for everyone, obviously. All right, so uh, you, you, and this, this was a question that you kind of already touched on earlier. Um, but to, to bring the concept down to earth, you like to use examples uh, really in the consumer space um, on how this product-led growth really approach has been working for years and we've been uh, exposed to it for years. Uh, I've heard you talk about walking through like Whole Foods or yeah. or Costco, right? And they have like the free little uh, snacks I love those on the toothpicks. Oh yeah, you walk by several <laughs> times uh, or, or have your wife go by and get you one. Um <laughs> So like yeah, can you give more examples of that? I know I know you use the car as, an, as a great example too, but um, just other examples of how we are exposed to this every single day in ways, and maybe we don't know it. And the reason I ask that is this could serve as inspiration for for listeners that maybe want to, uh, you know, uh, have this approach in their own business. Yeah. So even I'll go all the way back because I'm reading a really interesting book called Titan right now, which is about John D. Rockefeller 
you know, the guy who founded Standard Oil and his fascinating biography. But even back then, he was using the principles of product-led growth. What they were doing is they were giving away lanterns and a bunch of other equipment <laughs> that people could use. And you know what they need to do with that lantern? They need kerosene. So it's just a really brilliant way of they could whether it was selling these at cost or giving them away they were totally using this concepts where they said you like it great you want to have lights obviously now <laughs> here we got the product for you it's just kerosene you just put it in and, and it works so it's really kind of fascinating to see all the way back in the 1800s that they were still using concepts like this i love that give give people a lantern and they need kerosene Right. <laughs> exactly. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, what do you? Why are we talking about this now in SaaS? And and um, by now, I don't mean like this month. I mean we've been talking. This is sev you know several years now. This concept has really gained steam. But why are we talking about this right now? Is it the emergence of technology? Is it is it just the cost uh, of of hiring sales? And and why are we talking about product like growth right now? So in my book on product-led growth, I mentioned that right now there are three tidal waves that are coming for the SaaS space. So the first one shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, especially a marketer, which is the fact that customer acquisition costs are rising very quickly. So over the last five years, they have risen over 50%. And then on the other hand, the willingness to pay for software products has gone down. 30% in the same five years. So on one hand, you got these rising acquisition costs. On the other hand, you got people willing to pay less for your same solution. What's causing so, that, do you think? Just more competition, more noise? It's more competition, absolutely. It has never been easier to create right. a SaaS business. If you think about even from an investment perspective, what might have taken 10 million to create a SaaS product now takes less than $10,000. It's just the, the scale is so much greater for how many, the barrier to entry is so much lower for people. And then the last tidal wave that's really coming full force is that people are wanting to buy through actually trying it first. Even if you go to these really big enterprise B2B SaaS companies, one of the most common things I hear again and again is their enterprise customers or prospects they're asking for a trial experience because it is a big investment. They, they obviously want to de-risk this, vet it out on their own, and they want that trial experience. So it's really those three tidal waves are the main ones that I see that are really making this very apparent that if you want to survive as a SaaS business, you need to seriously consider building a product-led business or else your margins are going to consistently get slashed. And if you can take a beating, I mean, if you got like thousand percent price margins right now, uh, maybe you can survive for a while, but it's going to get lower and lower. And unless you innovate on the way you acquire customers and really get people into your funnel and provide value with them, it's going to be really tough to survive all three of those tidal waves. You think there's any examples of companies that maybe have failed to innovate in, in that regard, making it easier for people to try it, making it easier for people to buy? Um, like, do you, is there any examples that come to your mind immediately, like any real obvious ones? So in terms of like really obvious ones, oftentimes it's, it's the ones that aren't obvious that they just never made it because they couldn't figure out the model that worked for them. They just had this expensive sales 
uh, force, and they had to pass those costs onto the customer, not because the product was more valuable, but because their sales process was very expensive. And so that is what customers are realizing. They say, hey, like if I can try a lot of these product-led companies, um, oftentimes there are huge amounts of savings for the same product at the end of the day. Right, right. And you, you, uh, you work with uh, a bunch of companies too as well, right? You help people really with this transition uh, to product-led growth. You work with other SaaS companies. What are some of the more common challenges that you come across that they face in that transition? Um, you know, is it downsizing a sales team? Is it, is it just starting up? Uh, and, and like, how do you help them work through those? So the most common challenge people will have when they're making that transition, and even if they are a product-led business, this is always going to be a fun issue to solve, which is just how to turn those users into happy paying customers. Because in that first experience, whenever someone signs up for your product and then they go into that first experience in your product, you've already lost about 40 to 60% of them. They will not come back to that product. So that first experience, that's really where I love to focus on because you can have the biggest impact. Mm. If you really knock it out of the park for that person, you're able to actually deliver on your value proposition that you promised them on the website, you are in such an incredible position because you just built so much trust with that person. They trust you. You can actually solve their problem. They know you can. They've seen it for themselves. And if you think back to that whole notion of sales-led versus product-led growth, like the product-led is actually showing people, they, they know the value proposition of your product intimately on their own terms. Whereas a sales-led company, like if I just told you, like here's all the things Databox can do, it's amazing, I have the dashboard and everything, you can understand your business. It doesn't mean anything until you can actually see it for yourself. Right, it's that first mile of the product. Um, and uh, so, so, so really, we're talking about onboarding. Um, I mean, onboarding is a continuous product uh, process, but what you're referencing is really that first experience, that first mile of the product, right? Right Absolutely. when you sign up. Because you do, like it's typical for, for SaaS companies to, you know, have a have a have uh, people that come back. I mean, you, you do lose, what would you say, 40%? I mean, even upwards yeah. of 60% of people. Um, and that's, for a long time, it's sort of just been taken as like, oh, that's the standard. You know, that's the industry standard. That's just what happens, especially when you have a lower friction, uh, you know, freemium product. Uh, you have a lot of people just kicking tires. So in terms of, I mean, this is opening up Pandora's box, but in terms of, when it comes to onboarding, uh, you like to talk about the bowling alley framework when it comes to thinking about onboarding, because I know this is something that many SaaS marketers are passionate about, but it's also super challenging is getting it right. And I don't think you ever get it perfect, but talk about the bowling alley framework and how that can help SaaS marketers think through onboarding and providing a better experience. Absolutely, so the bowling alley framework is really just the whole reason I built it is I wanted to have a framework to really think about onboarding because whenever it comes to onboarding, it's so easy to get caught in the minutiae and all the tools and tactics you could ever use, and then you just feel stuck. And so I wanted to really build a framework where it's actually so simple to understand. Anyone can really understand it. So there's three components. And the first one, much like bowling, is you want to, if you're thinking of bowling, you want to roll the ball in the middle in a nice straight line, and then you can knock down as many pins as possible. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a strike. So that's the goal. That's what we're really going for. Same thing in onboarding is if our goal is to give people a strike, 
and really have them have that incredible first experience, well, we need to really knock out all the other things that get in the way of them. And so I use a simple process. This is called the red, yellow, green light process. I mean, it's, it's totally a no-brainer. But like a green light, for instance, is a step that you absolutely must have. And so if you think about even Databox, if someone doesn't integrate anything, it's not that valuable. Right. So yep. A first step would be like set up your first integration. That is a green step. That has to be there in your onboarding process or else, I mean, you can show people demo boards all you want, but they're not going to see the value for themselves. So that's a green step. But then there's yellow steps. These are steps that are a little advanced, probably not meant for that first time user. And this is so common in the SaaS space because so many people like to treat onboarding like this one trick pony where- It's a buffet uh, line too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you're here, you just signed up. Let's take you through the whole product. Here's all the features, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what we've done, son. It's amazing. <laughs> and so it's just like, no, that's not how you treat onboarding. It shouldn't be like, here's every feature under the sun in our product. You're welcome, because that doesn't actually help you strike out. That just distracts you. And in most of those cases, by the end of that tour, people are just like, ah, I, I don't get the product. I haven't seen anything valuable for myself. I have no reason to come back. And so they don't. And then the last type is the red steps, which are often the ones we can completely eliminate, and it doesn't affect the user experience. So the red steps might be an example of, um, requiring someone to activate their email address whenever they sign up. So before they can access the product, they need to get their email, click that link, and then go back in, maybe re-sign in, and then they can see the product. So steps like that, if we remove them, we can just accelerate and get people towards that strike faster. And so it's reducing friction at the end of the day. And so if you go through that whole process, which is really simple, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah. where it becomes complicated is like, Everyone wants to show off features, and I think you need to remove yourself from the, the the natural bias that you have from working at a company to say like, oh, these all these features are not all, but some of these other features are really critical, right, to understanding. So, um, yeah, like you know, I think the the example that you gave uh, in applying it to DataBox is a good one. If you don't connect the data source, there's really not much <laughs> we can do or you can do in the product. You need to connect data, right? Um, so if I, if I was a client of yours in, you know, like going off script, whiteboarding this, like that one seems obvious to me, but what, where would I go next? Like what, what kind of questions do you ask of clients to really get them to understand, all right, here are the greens and, and these other things are yellows and reds. Let's ignore those. But how do you help people identify what those greens are? Yeah. So you have to start with what does success look like for your user? So I, I mean, I I use Databox, and the only thing I have there is the business scorecard for myself. So I can see, like, okay, these are the metrics that I need to understand my business better. Um, for myself, sure. that's a win. I want to understand whenever I have it on the TV on the other side there. But, like, whenever I turn it on the TV, it refreshes. I get to see, like, okay, there's subscribers, revenue, the main things that matter to my business. And that's that's my win for the product. So I would just work backwards. Like if that's where people need to get, they need to understand the metrics that are obviously important to their business, and then they gotta put it on the dashboard. Um, that's what we need to get people towards and all the steps that are involved in getting people towards that, uh, we need to kind of audit every single step that it takes to get someone there and then work backwards. 
Right. So for a company like us, we there's goal features. There's there's other features that you know uh, would be something that you would uh, sort of suggest to a client that you know introduce later on through an, whether that's an email flow or after they've taken certain actions in the product after they're set up, kind of introduce them and layer on uh, different features as they go. Yeah, and like that goal feature is a perfect example of like a yellow light, for instance. So if I set up my dashboard and let's say I'm, I finish setting up the revenue, it's like the next question I get is a little prompt like, now what's your goal for revenue for this month? Do you want to fill it in? <laughs> Just so you can track like, okay, how far off are you? And then they get alerts and notifications about like, okay, are you hitting the goal or not? And so it's just a natural way of like saying, okay, it's contextual based on you got to that certain point. Now let's, let's make this even more valuable for you. Sure. What are some, uh, talk about some SaaS companies that you think are doing this well. So there are so many SaaS companies that are product led that I think are doing an amazing job. But the one thing that I think is a prerequisite for any product led business, if you ever want to build a world class product led business, is the fact that you always have to be experimenting. And it's so basic. It's right. so <laughs> basic. But out of every single company, it's just that is always one of the things that they focus on. Um, in terms of a really interesting product led business, um, I really am fascinated with the folks at Deputy and what they're doing. So every six months, I interview about 50 product-led leaders at the Product-Led Summit. And so what I'm doing is really just dissecting, like, okay, what are they doing to really make this um, product-led business successful? And one thing they do that's kind of interesting that a lot of other product-led businesses don't do is focus on the first seven minutes of onboarding. They actually have an entire team dedicated towards the first seven minutes the first seven and minutes it, interesting yeah and <laughs> obviously that must mean something to their business exactly that first seven minutes is important but it's back to the same thing we were talking about earlier it's like that first experience really has that make or break tendency and to really go back to the bowling alley framework we talked a bit about the mm. straight line onboarding approach so that's step one like can we build that straight line but then the next part of the bowling alley framework there's two steps here which is the bowling well sorry the product bumper and then the conversational bumper and so what we're really trying to do like in bowling is make it so easy for people to really see value in the product and so with the product bumper when you kind of layer that on that's like how can we actually guide the user through the product to see value and go through all those items that we had on our straight line of like these are the important steps that someone has to do to see success and so if we do that, whether it's through using maybe guided tour, product mm -hmm. tour, or something else, it doesn't necessarily matter how you do it. It's just, can we make it so easy for them to see value? And then on the other hand, we're going to slap on a conversational bumper, which is just looking for throughout that whole process. Where do people drop off? So if someone sets up an integration for Databox, and they don't actually put it into the dashboard or anything else, that's a perfect example. Let's send them a triggered email that says, hey, <laughs> you forgot this one important <laughs> step. Let's, let's get it to the point where it's on a dashboard that you can monitor regularly. So it's looking for where do people drop off throughout this whole process and let's bring them back. And let's not just give them this one size fits all kind of onboarding approach. Let's catch them just in time wherever they leave off the hook and bring them back to that point. So the end goal here is just we have successful users and if we optimize for that outcome, successful users, what happens is they reward you 
with their pulling out their credit card and buying your product because you have shown them that this is a product that has actually really impacted their life at the end of the day. Is there a more preferable model between free trial and freemium, one that tends to work better in product-led growth, or does the approach not necessarily matter? It's more about the experience of either one. So the experience has to be there. You nailed it with that part. But the true product-led businesses that I've seen that have had the most success getting every team involved with helping the user become successful uh, often is freemium products that see the best results. And part of the reason that is, is because a lot of times people will try a free trial out and or roll it out for their company, but they actually don't change any of the internal workings of their whole sales process. And so it's really common where they can have a free trial, but still be a very sales-led business. And so that's back to our first point about <laughs> what is product-led growth? It's not just that first trial experience. And so you really have to think about, okay, like if the goal is for this free trial to give people that place where they can evaluate our products, but we just treat them like a demo request. We start calling them up and saying, hey, uh, can, are you ready for a demo request? It's like, no, 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 no. Way too many companies still do that. So to answer your question, yes, um, the experience really does matter, but you can still have a very successful product or business with a free trial at the end of the day. I think when you remove the emphasis on time and getting all this stuff done within seven days or whatever it is, and it's more, the freemium tends to be more focused on just getting people set up, getting people experiencing value. I think, yeah, it's just naturally a better, a better fit for a lot of the principles that you're talking about when it comes to product-led growth. Um, this question is, 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 uh, goes a little deeper. So for those that are listening, um, you know, uh, that have higher ACV products. So product-led growth right off the bat seems like a pretty good fit for companies serving the SMB or maybe they just have... Uh, low ACV products seems to be a good fit for the more enterprise companies that maybe have higher ACV. Um, can this can this sort of approach work? Can they sell their software without a traditional sales motion? Yeah. So, like, if you want to sell those six or seven figure deals with a product at product, can you do it? Yes. Can you do it touchless? Oftentimes, no. You you still need a sales team. And so, what I was mentioning a little bit earlier was this whole world called product qualified leads. And so if you're not familiar with what product qualified leads are, I'm sure mm. I know you are, but mm. for everyone listening, product qualified leads are really just a way, much like marketing qualified leads, where you're really monitoring people and seeing, okay, what are they doing? But instead of just basing it on maybe what guides or white papers they're downloading, like a marketing qualified lead, you're looking at what are they actually doing in the product that could be really important for us to understand from a sales perspective. So if someone, let's say, creates three dashboards in Databox and they do it in the first week or something like that, that's actually really interesting to know because that can show them like, okay, this person's really serious. Uh, they're gonna hit that limit very quickly and maybe they're adding a bunch of users. That could be another piece we look for for our whole product qualified lead definition. And so maybe if they're adding 15 users in the first week, we're like, wow, this is a big company. Plus we're looking at the demographic info and we know, okay, this is a Fortune 1000 company. All right, we can really help this company. Let's, let's add some fuel to the fire. Let's have someone actually help this company really um, get buy-in internally for this tool because 
having your dashboards and understanding your metrics can have such a big impact, especially at that scale. So it's really incredible. And I think your team has done actually a really good job of this because I get those sales emails of whenever I do specific things in the product, I'm like, ah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the support team is on point too. That That's a big part of yeah. it is uh, they're really on point. The tracking's on point. So, but I mean, you make a good point that the product-led growth can really be a huge assist for sales teams, right? Because they're Definitely. focusing more on people that, like you said, it's not just they downloaded an ebook or they read a certain white paper. They're taking certain actions in the product, which makes the salesperson's job easier, right? And they're able to be more effective. Absolutely. Um, so I want to end here. So for those listening, this all sounds great. I want to start moving in this direction. What, like, what's their first? Like, what what can they start doing today? What are some some small actions or even bigger ones that they can start? Uh, you know, they could start taking in order to move more towards product led growth. Yeah. So if you want to start moving towards product-led growth and you're you're not too familiar with what it is and how to really kind of apply a lot of the strategies, the whole reason, honestly, I wrote my book on product-led growth is really because I wanted to help people understand, hey, is this even right for them? That's like part one of the book. Read it. It goes through all the things you need to know if it is even a good fit for your business. And then if it is, it goes through like, okay, how do you build a product-led foundation? And then how do you take it to the next level and really start turning a lot of those users into happy paying customers? So that's the way I structured the book. And if you are you want the free version, just scroll down around productled.com, be there on the site for more than 10 seconds, and you'll get the free <laughs> offer for the first six chapters, which is part one. <laughs> awesome. Wes, this was a lot of fun, man. I, I really enjoyed finally getting in touch and, and chatting. Uh, like I told you when we got on, I feel like I've seen this book everywhere, which is a testament. Obviously, the movement has, has been uh, has been going on, but you really, I feel like, uh, latched onto it. And, uh, you know, you're putting out some of the best content and the the, uh, the, the resources you guys put out and the, the, the conference and all that has been great. So it was good to get on here and hear straight from you everything that's working and, and where we can draw inspiration from. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, John. This has been a great chat. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.